This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Next time that I feel very overwhelmed, I'm definitely going to say that. I feel like it's a great, like, I don't know, back down to earth moment. Yeah, just soothe your nervous system. I'm safe. And, the and a deep breath. Yeah. Everyone take a deep breath right now. <laughs> <laughs> what is up, everybody? Welcome back to Austin AF. It's Katie Austin here. And today I... Hmm. I don't want to say I'm excited, but I am excited because I have Alyssa, who is a therapist here in Los Angeles, who specializes in um, re- toxic relationships. And I'm really excited to talk to her about everything about my past relationship that I have never actually opened up about ever into the public eye, if you will. And I feel like I tell y'all everything. And so today it might be a little bit more of a serious episode, but I think that it is really, really important to talk about this. Before we dive into anything really serious with Alyssa, I am so pumped because today is actually my first ever sponsored episode. You guys, it's kind of crazy. I am finally having um, an ad in my podcast and in my YouTube show, which is really, really exciting for me. And we are going to be doing this for the next couple weeks. Basically, what it is, is Verizon in the know moment, where I am actually showing you guys a product of the week that I am obsessed with at the moment. And today, the product is very near and dear to my heart. <gasps> Boom, right here, Everbetter Bites. So my mom and I have been working on this company for the last, I would say, two, three years and we really wanted to put a healthy keto friendly protein probiotic snack on the market and we are obsessed with these bites because they not only are delicious but like I said they are low in sugar they're keto friendly and they're perfect for on-the-go protein as well they come in four different flavors and we're actually adding a new flavor very very soon that you guys will absolutely love and what I really love about the product is because my mom and I really built it together, which is so cool to say that I'm involved in a business with my mom. I think it's something that we wanted to do for a very, very long time. And I know it's August right now, but if you guys are looking for uh, a fall amazing snack, the pumpkin spice flavor is definitely my favorite. We also have chocolate peanut butter passion. We also have chocolate chip. We have brownie. Uh, Oh wait, chocolate chip is a new flavor. (laughs) Anyways, spoiler alert. Um, And so make sure to check 
check out my Ever Better Bites with my mom again. They are only low in sugar. They have probiotics for immune health, keto-friendly, gluten-free, six grams of protein, and I can literally eat an entire bag in one sitting. So that is my product for today for Verizon's In The Know moment. And if you guys want more, make sure to scan the QR code or you guys can press the link in either the YouTube description or the podcast description. So make sure to check out weekly my Verizon In The Know product. And now let's get to something a little bit more serious. Okay, you guys, now I am going to talk about something a lot more serious than ever better bites. I wanted to really open up to you guys because a few weeks ago, I was talking to a friend who I hadn't seen in like three years, and she met my new boyfriend, my amazing sweetheart of a boyfriend now, and she was like, brought me aside, and she was like, wait a second, I met your old boyfriend, you guys seemed perfect together online, what what happened? And I was like, oh man, I haven't, first off, really, you know, <laughs> thought about that in a while, because I kind of feel like I really made sure I never thought about it, if that makes any sense. I put it really down in my system, so I never wanted it to come up. And so I kind of opened up to her about him and what happened in that he actually was an addict. And before I really make this about him, I want to say that his life is private. I actually archived every single photo on Instagram of him, so hopefully you guys will not find him (laughs) at all because I don't want to really get him involved as much as the situation. And when I talk about these problems that we had in our relationship and my situation with him, I really don't want to make this about me and for you guys to be like, oh my God, that must have been really hard. I really just want to open up about this to make you guys either relate or help anyone out there and help you guys realize if you're in a very toxic relationship like I was. And so hopefully you guys can take away from this some advice when Alyssa comes in to realize a little bit more about my story and what happened with me and also realize that if you are dealing with a significant other who is an addict, we as the significant other need to really focus on our mental health as well because I really lost myself completely in this relationship. I will kind of briefly touch on some of the things that happened. I'm not going to deep dive into a lot, but I just really want you guys to kind of realize the magnitude of how like bad this was. So first six months of our relationship was amazing. He was a great boyfriend. He told me that he was four years sober and I never grew up with an addict in my life. I actually didn't know one. And so for someone saying they're four years sober, he convinced me that he just did a lot of drugs in college. He partied a little too hard. He went a little crazy. So his parents sent him to rehab. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm like 23 at the time and basically just thought he partied too hard. And that was just like my take on it. And so I really respected the fact that he just didn't drink alcohol. He would still go out with me, my friends. And the first six months were great. They were really awesome. He was sober the entire time. On his birthday, I booked him a hotel with me uh, to celebrate his birthday. And he convinced me that it was because it was his birthday that he could have a beer or two. And I 
asked him a bunch of times. I said, you're going to break your four-year sobriety off of two beers. Like, is it worth it? No. What's the outcome? And I questioned him a bunch. And at the end of the day, I can't control him. He was three years older than me, and I uh, then turned 24. And I'm not controlling my older boyfriend. He's an adult. He can make his own decisions. And so an hour of, like, arguing-ish later, he decided to have the two beers at dinner. Nothing went wrong. Everything was fine. We actually had a really fun night. I was really actually kind of happy that he could enjoy a beer with me. You know, I was the type of girl who liked to have my margaritas on a Friday night and liked to get wasted on Saturday. And so as the weekends progressed, he would start drinking with me and not to be like, uh, again, I enjoyed it, but I at the time was in my party stage. I didn't really party that much in college. And so I was a 24-year-old girl and I thought that he just wanted to have fun with me, truly. And not to say that alcohol was a gateway to what happened next, but I truly believe that his alcohol consumption and you know his excessive drinking for the next couple months led him to drugs as well. He has a past with drugs, first off, I, I'll say that. But um, one of the first incidents that I realized that he actually had a problem and I needed to kind of take control over it, which is problem number one that I thought I needed to take control over. Uh, He came home from a work trip on a Tuesday night and I picked him up from the airport and he reeked of tequila and he told me he had one glass of wine on the plane just to ease his anxiety. Uh, Number two incident was we got back from Mexico and I was just trying to call an Uber on his phone, he told me to see where it was. I think he like went to the bathroom. I had no trust issues with him. And I see a notification from Craigslist that he's ordering pain pills online. And on that note, I thought I needed to check his phone constantly, not because of other girls, but because of his drug dealers. Um, another note, what happened? I feel like I'm just like filing through them. There, there's over like literally 50 times. One time I thought he was sober and he brought cocaine to my birthday. What else? One time he convinced me, this is really serious, you guys. He convinced me that him doing heroin was the same thing as smoking weed. And I just want to preface this and say I never even smoked a cigarette in my goddamn life. And so for me, drugs were so, I I was really naive, I'll say that, because I think I didn't understand how serious it was. And I know that sounds really, really crazy, but that's the thing about dating an addict. You feel crazy. You feel so manipulative. The fact that he could convince me that him doing heroin was the same high as smoking weed. I look back and I question myself, but then I can't question myself because I will just get so angry. The last straw really of our relationship, I'm skipping through so many stories, you guys, but I just want to like touch on a few here. Uh, The last story that I really, really broke the straw on our relationship was I was working NBA Summer League and I got a call the next day that he had that he like I don't know he took too many pain pills at a soccer game on a Saturday night a fucking soccer game and to be honest I was like oh shit okay but he was like on the phone with me and he was like seemed fine I was flying home the next day and I got home and he was like I actually have to talk to you I overdosed and his friend was there as well. And basically, he like turned blue and like his friend was like, he died for 30 seconds. Like literally, if the ambulance didn't come in time, they said like two minutes later, 
he's dead. And um, <laughs> I don't want to cry. Um, it was really scary. It was really fucking scary. And that was kind of a straw. And I thought it was all my fault, truly, because I was the one who broke his sobriety. And I was the one who got him to that point. <laughs> one sec, sorry. <laughs> sorry, guys. Um, really didn't think I was going to cry. That's why I have to like go through these stories kind of emotionless because I have a lot of emotion. Anyways, he convinced me of so many things and uh, that was kind of the straw. And he, every weekend was like his last weekend of drinking, his last weekend of drugs. And um, I still stayed with him after that point just because I thought if I broke up with him, he would no longer be with us. And that was really hard on me. So what really was hard on me the most is that no one in my family would talk to me um, about him because I was so embarrassed. My family hated him. He wasn't allowed to enter my home. My friends hated him. Um, it was a really hard time. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so crying. Uh, <clears throat> anyways, I really lost myself in that relationship, especially towards the end, because he convinced me of a lot of things and he manipulated me in ways. And at the end of it, I really thought that I couldn't break up with him because he, again, would no longer be with us. And that was really hard for me to realize that I needed to break up with him for him to get better. I felt like I was his crutch at one point and I'm truly... If I would look back, there was months of me just trying to break up with him and you just really had to rip the band-aid off. And I'm so, so happy that I did, but it's so much harder said than done. It was really tough. And it was a huge relief for me when I was no longer in a relationship with him because it just, that messed me up a lot. Um, anyways, as y'all can tell. And I think a few months after we broke up, my best friend called me and she just wanted to tell me like something like he, uh, he proposed to his girlfriend at the time, like very soon after we broke up, which I was so, so happy for him to find someone new. Like, trust me, like I wanted him to find someone new. And, uh, he proposed to his girlfriend and she was like, are you sitting down? Like, uh, I need you to be alone. And, you know, if you ever date someone like that, your thought just goes like right away, he's dead. And I know that sounds so extreme, it's so morbid, but you know what I'm talking about. And they said, he said, she said that he proposed and I was like, so happy, so just like relieved that he was still okay. And um, basically this episode, I don't want to focus so much on the significant other who's an addict. I want to focus on someone like me's mental health in that situation and how to escape a toxic relationship. And so <laughs> as I have tears streaming down my face, I'm going to have Alyssa come in because I clearly need a therapy session. All right. Hi, Alyssa. Thank Hello. you so much for coming in today. I know you probably have a really busy schedule being a therapist. Um, so I wanted to give you some breakfast burritos because, I, first off, I wanted a breakfast burrito. But um, I've been like rating breakfast burritos in Los Angeles. And uh, mm -hmm. I thought, why not rate one on my show right now? Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> so hopefully you're hungry. <laughs> um, these are, where are they from? Tacos. Tacos, 
Tacos, por favor. Thank you for the breakfast, Rito. Um, so, yeah. Hopefully you're hungry, and let's try these. So are you rating them on a scale? Yes, mm -hmm. out of 10. And, mmm. Mmm. This one has rice and beans. It's really good. This is a really good breakfast burrito. Wow. Mm -hmm. I would get this again. Wow. I really dig the refried beans in that a lot, mm -hmm. which I don't see often in breakfast burritos or rice. Usually it's potatoes. So, and I'm a big potato girl. So I give that like an eight out of 10. That's really good. Really, really good. And I really wish I could eat that all right now. Okay. <laughs> Alyssa, I want to first get started on how you got started being a therapist. I just had a very, very long intro and it was very emotional. We'll get into that in a second. Um, but yeah, tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I am a licensed clinical social worker. I've been a practicing therapist for over a decade now and I'm in private oh. practice. And my start in therapy was really, I got my bachelor's degree in sociology and I liked the concept of just understanding how systems impact your mental health. So then I went to grad school for social work. I really wanted to do more kind of like formalized activism, but all of my internships were very clinical. They were very mental health related and oriented. And I ended up falling in love with that part of social work too. And I just ended up becoming oh. a therapist after that. Wow. So I just kind of fell into it. And now you're really big online. Do mm -hmm. you also see patients like one-on-one -on -one or clients one-on-one -on -one too? Yeah, I do. Yeah. 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 I see about 15 people a week now. 15 people a week. Wow, mm -hmm. that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Did you see any rise in your work during the last like year and a half due to COVID? I did. Yeah, yeah I did. <laughs> a lot of people were seeking mental health services, which I think is really great because I think for the most part, people want to seek it, but there's so much stigma around it. So it was, it was in a way, it was good to see people asking for help. Let's actually talk about that stigma um, mm -hmm. because I actually, in my mind, had a stigma. Like I grew up in a very... Uh, East Coast privileged town where no one had problems. And mm -hmm. so uh, for me, therapy was like, okay, you only go if you have problems. But during COVID, I saw a lot of these in quotes problems come out where I wanted to seek a therapist. Okay. Um, and so basically it's helped me so much by the way, but I do see a difference in going to someone in person versus online. Have you seen a difference when you like see your clients? Yeah, I think it's I personally am an in-person type of therapist. There, there, There is a difference in just, I think, how deep you can go when you're yes. in-person versus online. Yep. Yes, mm -hmm. I feel like I can't get very deep when I do it virtually. Mm -hmm. There's so many distractions. Yeah. You know, especially if your phone is connected to your computer, then you're getting messages and then everything around you, Absolutely. people knocking on your door, and if you have roommates. Yes, mm -hmm. that, that's my mm -hmm. one thing. Sometimes I'm at home or sometimes I'm at my boyfriend's and I feel like everyone can hear me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to talk mm -hmm. about this. I'm actually whispering. Yeah, right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is probably no one can hear you, but then there's just that extra awareness that you're not in private. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. man. Okay, what advice would you give to anyone who thinks there is a stigma around therapy uh, and who is trying to go to therapy and like, how yeah. do they start getting involved in it? Well, I think it's just very much important to recognize that your mental health is important too in the same way that you take care of your physical health. Um, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. It helps to explore some of the messages that were sent to you around therapy or people going to therapy to even explore, you know, did your family talk about feelings? Did your family acknowledge feelings? How did your family handle it when you would get sad or cry? Just to kind of explore the root of it. And to the first step is... Um, going on a therapist directory and start making phone calls and see who's the best fit for you. Um, you don't have to wait till you're a place of 
destigmatizing to start. You can start when it's uncomfortable. I love that. You can start when you're not sure. I love that. Mm -hmm. And I think something important to note too is finding someone who is a right fit because I actually saw a therapist in the beginning of COVID. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why it just like didn't click. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And now I have one who I love. And mm-hmm. so it took me. And so if mm-hmm. it doesn't, you know, the first time when you, you you try therapy and it like doesn't work right away, like I think you, you know, you could keep trying as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you should keep trying. It's like dating, right? You're just, yeah. you're just like dating around and see who is the best fit for you. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Speaking of dating, great transition. Oh. <laughs> now that I'm like literally still sifting from my crying earlier. So Alyssa, just to give you a little bit of a background on what we were talking about. Basically, I had a boyfriend who was an addict and was very manipulative. Very, very manipulative. And I see you have online, you talk uh, about toxic relationships and you talk about gaslighting. And Mm -hmm. I think um, it is really important, even if, you know, someone listening to this, their significant other isn't an addict, but they're toxic. And how to realize when someone's toxic and how to end the relationship because it is so much easier said than done. So let's start from the beginning because I think, um, you know, people, when when you have two people in a relationship and one has a lot of problems, like, I don't want to say a lot of problems, but like being an addict, you know, I think everyone was focusing on him in, in our relationship and yeah. if he was okay. And no one really asked me if I was okay. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I kind of just want to talk about the mental health of the significant other and if like, you know, what advice you would give to that person? What are some signs that you would really see in the beginning of that in that relationship? So one of the hallmarks that we see is um, when you're dating somebody who is an addict, uh, typically they tend to date other partners. Their partners tend to be really kind and caring and empathetic people that, you know, want to extend their patience and their love to help the partner. But what ends up happening is this dynamic where one person really shrinks themselves, right, to try to rescue this other person. And that other person might make promises, doesn't fall through with it. So you're kind of in this hamster wheel. Yeah. You know, you're in this hamster wheel of just like going back and forth, hoping things are going to change and they don't. And I just, um, I think it's important for the person that's in the relationship to ask themselves, how is this relationship making me feel? And am I holding on to who this person is or who I think they can be? The potential of them. Mm-hmm. I think dating someone for the potential of what they could be is is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so, I, and I know you talk about like red flags a lot and stuff like that. And I think in, in anyone listening, you know, um, it can be really hard to get out of that relationship yeah. and realize it's really also hard to realize that you've like lost yourself. Mm-hmm. And so... I, I would just like like to talk to you and see your, your perspective on that, on, you know, what to do when you feel like, or you don't even know that you lost yourself. Yeah. I, and I like what you said. It's like, you can know all of the red flags and you can be a diligent person and go online and think, this is my situation. This is my relationship and still have a hard time leaving. You know, there's this saying, if, if you know better, do better, but it's not that easy. You can know better. You can label it. You can have all the clinical terms and still have a hard time leaving, right? Yeah. It, it, it really is very difficult to leave. And um, you know, one of the things that I recommend for people who are in those relationship cycles is you want to be honest with your support system about what's happening. Because what tends to happen is you start to keep secrets. Yeah. You start to say like, everything's fine oh or we're doing so much better. Yes, <laughs> yes. Because you just don't want that feedback or that judgment. 
Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. I think that was, I'm such an open book and I tell uh-huh. my parents everything. I tell my friends everything. But when I was dealing with my boyfriend right. and his um, like drug abuse, yeah. I told nobody. Yeah. Because I felt shame from it. Mm-hmm. And that way I just bottled up everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that was honestly one of the hardest parts for me because I was like keeping secrets. Mm-hmm. Truly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I feel like we can know the red flags and see them, but mm-hmm. still not be able to get out of that relationship mm-hmm. because we think that that is the end, the end all be all. And we're not going to be, you know, after the relationship, you, you're scared yeah. after it ends. Yeah. And, and I think one of the most common defense mechanisms that I see when people are in relationships like that, it's rationalizing, right? Well, they had a bad day or they had such a hard childhood yeah. or they've been through so much. It makes and so then you start to over accommodate this huge thing in the relationship. And that's when you lose yourself. So what is the first step in okay. trying to redeem yourself and uh-huh. get out of the relationship because if i you know again if you're if your significant other is not an addict but you're, you're you've been trying to get out of a relationship i actually get some dms i don't want people to DM me but they're like i've been trying to break mm-hmm. up with my boyfriend and they can't um okay. what's step one i think it's well gosh there's so many steps yeah <laughs> exploring what is holding you back right what is the story you're telling yourself about why you can't leave is it you feel like you're never going to find anything better? Is it you feel like um, this is truly your soulmate? They just need to fix this one thing about themselves. Um, is it the history? Just really explore what is holding you back and try to rework those narratives because it's oftentimes the stories we tell ourselves True. that hold us back. Not to be super dramatic here, mm-hmm. but... For me, why I felt like I couldn't leave the relationship is because if I did, I thought he wouldn't yeah. would harm himself yes. and no really longer common. be with us. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the hardest part to realize. It took me forever to realize that, like, again, this sounds bad, but like, yeah. if he did pass away, it wasn't my fault. Yes. And I think that that is was really hard for mm-hmm. me really really hard for me so if anyone else uh, like feels that way out there um i'd love to you just like to speak on that a little bit and speak on how it's like not in our control at all it's it's so important to recognize that as a human being you can only do so much for another person yes and if you're staying with someone for the sole purpose of i um, preventing them from hurting themselves, you really have to do a little bit of future thinking and ask yourself, can I do that then for the rest of my life? Wow. Wow. And the answer is no. Yeah. The answer is yeah. no. Um, yeah. I mean, and that that takes a toll on mm-hmm. like someone like me who in the relationship or anyone else out there, the other side of the relationship, mental health, you know, mm-hmm. and, and realizing that we have to take care of ourselves at the end mm-hmm. of the day. And I don't want to say like be selfish, but sometimes you kind of do have to be selfish. Yeah. yeah. I think the word selfish gets a really bad rap, right? Yeah. And, and sometimes it is okay to take care of yourself. Taking care of yourself is not selfish. I completely, yeah. completely agree. Wow. Um, I mean, I have just like, I just want to hear like all your advice. I feel like and I feel like I can't even like ask a question right now because I just want to like hear you speak on it. Um, but yeah, I feel like one of the hardest things for me in that relationship as well was um, the manipula- manipulation yeah. and being gas gaslighted. Gas and so let's talk about like gaslighting because I saw your post recently about gaslighting. And I think it's, this happens in a lot of relationships that happen in my 
previous relationship, not this one we're talking about, the, but another ex's relationship in a different ways and how to know what are some signs when your significant other is gaslighting you? I mean, the clearest sign is when you see something and you know something and they look you direct in the face and they say that didn't happen or that's oh not true. And they make you feel crazy. Yeah. Yeah. They spin you in circles and then you find yourself trying to prove something that you you just find yourself doing these like mental marathons in your mind and it's just very, very circular. So what can you do if you are being gaslit? Like what is what is the reaction that we should take if someone is trying to gaslight us? So I recommend... Um, when you're in a relationship and you're being gaslit, because one of the things about being gaslit is it slowly erodes your self-esteem to the point where you're just like, maybe I didn't see that. Maybe I didn't hear that. Maybe they didn't do that, right? And you just start to question yourself to the point where you don't bring things up because now you don't trust yourself, right? So I recommend start journaling, writing things down. Oh, I love that because mm-hmm. I also feel like uh, we as women kind of forget the bad things sometimes. Yes. I remember like, uh, you know, my mom brought up something like, remember when so-and-so did this? And I'm like, wow, I completely forgot mm-hmm. about that. I feel like we we tend to forgive so mm-hmm. much that I think journaling is a really, really amazing tip that every time you feel like you're questioning yourself, write it down. Yeah. And I bet that there's more instances than you think. Yes. And you can look back on the journal for be like and think, oh my gosh, okay, this has been going on for years now. Versus if you don't write it down, it just feels like, oh, we've only been unhappy for a few months. But really, if you start to journal, you can have a record of things and it gives you perspective. Oh, I love that. And I think a scary thing too is um, when you want to bring something up, but you are terrified of their reaction. Mm -hmm. I think that's another thing to realize you're in a toxic relationship. If you want to bring something up about like a problem in the relationship and, but you're a little bit scared to, Mm -hmm. you know, then maybe, then maybe (laughs) they're not the one. Mm -hmm. And that's called walking on eggshells. Yeah. Right when you're walking on eggshells, like I can't bring this up, or because they're going to get mad. I had um, posted about this a while ago. There's a difference between caring about how someone feels and wanting to deliver it appropriately versus walking on eggshells, right? So when you care about how somebody feels, not wanting to hurt their feelings, it's because you genuinely care about how this information can affect that person. When you're walking out on eggshells, you're afraid that you're going to get punished. Wow. You're afraid that you're going to get punished for voicing something. That, that is literally how I felt. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's how I felt in my past two relationships, mm-hmm. not anymore at all. But it is hard to realize that too because mm-hmm. you're so blinded by yeah. love. <laughs> it becomes normal. Yes, yeah. it becomes normal. It becomes very normal. And that is like once you know what becomes normal, it's like you, you have this like realization that you're in too deep and that's mm-hmm. what makes it so hard to move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I mean, everything that you're saying is so spot on. (laughs) Any other red flags that you can think of that are like, okay, you know, notice this from the Mm -hmm. beginning. This is not normal. This shouldn't be happening. I want to talk more about grooming um, because, you know, we end up talking about all of the big things that you see towards the end of the relationship. But oftentimes people are getting groomed for this type of stuff. Right. So it's yeah. like um, and you might start dating and then there's already an argument right away, followed by like an intense apology or something like that. 
or maybe the um for you i know you said you dated somebody who is an alcoholic so maybe the first episode was smaller or something like that it was like you kind of just see little things and then there's rational they rationalize it or they apologize so they're kind of grooming you for what's to come absolutely Mm -hmm. you just nailed it that Mm -hmm. is exactly what happened Mm -hmm. and it was almost like I look back and I'm like it was very gradual but yes. then it wasn't at all at the same yeah. time yeah which is weird to think about because those intentions were there from him the entire time yeah and then for me when I I look back now I get a little bit upset with myself because he manipulated me to think some crazy things like mm-hmm. for example um I was convinced by him that him doing heroin was the same high as smoking weed. Mm. And he convinced me that it was like really the same. Yeah. And, and how would you have known that, right? So. Right. And <laughs> no, really. And, yeah. and I look back now, I'm like, Katie, God bless your heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, but I was, I was younger at the time mm-hmm. and, and I loved him. And so um, what advice would you give also for someone who has like regret in a, about something? Like you look back and you're I'm like so frustrated with myself. Oh gosh. Self-compassion, it's, it's so cheesy and it's so cliche, but self-compassion, hindsight is always twenty twenty. You know what I mean? It's like, you. of course you can look back at it now yeah. that you have all the information and the therapy sessions and the pieces and think, oh, I shouldn't have done that, right? Of course, when you do it that way, there is a lot of things we would redo, but you wanna have compassion for the person that was in that relationship that was doing the best they could with what they knew at the time. Wow. Okay. Explain a little bit more hindsight. Hindsight twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. Meaning, when you look back at something, it's it's all it's always much more clear what was happening when you're looking back yes. versus when you're in it. Yes. Yeah. Why is that? I think we just again we're blinded by love, but I uh-huh. felt that in almost all my relationships. I think a lot of it is primitive, it's biological, it's social construct, right? So when I say primitive, biological, we're wired for human connection. We really are. We're wired to be connected to another person. Wow, yeah, we are. And and I think with my ex that we're talking about in this um, scenario, I, I not was not only connected, but I wanted help so badly. Mm-hmm. That's all I wanted to do. And I think... Um, you know, going back on the fact that we have to be selfish. All I wanted to do was help, but there comes a time where you can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, if anyone is in that position right now where you do feel helpless, but all you want to do is help, you know, you have to take a step back and realize there, I I don't want to, I don't, I feel like you could say this better, you know, like, (laughs) obviously. Do you know what I'm trying to say though? Like, I want to make sure everyone knows like, you can only do so much. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, You can only do so much. And when you pour so much of your energy into trying to help this person, and it's almost like um, a vase with a hole in the bottom, you're just pouring and pouring yeah. and pouring and pouring, and it just keeps you know, getting sucked out. There are so many other people in your life who love you, and now they're not getting parts of you. Yeah, I think another huge, huge main part of that is like there's so many other people in your life that love you and a huge red flag to me, if you know you're in a toxic relationship, you don't become as close to those people anymore. Yeah. So my, when I look back now, I realize my parents are my best friends and in that relationship, I wasn't as close to them. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure you can agree with me on that, like knowing that 
your loved ones are still there. You're so close to them when you're with your significant yeah. your mm-hmm. other is key. Yeah. 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 And you want to talk about your relationship, right? Um, a hallmark of an unhealthy relationship is avoiding your support system or getting irritated when your support system asks, like, how are you guys doing? How are things going? Totally. Just and wanting to deflect. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Deep conversation, you guys. <laughs> um, okay. Any Before we move on to, like, other things about relationships, any other, um, you know, any other advice or anything else you want to speak on about being in uh, a relationship? with an addictive person i think that if support systems are your thing i would join support groups with other people who are going through it or have been through it you know there are a lot of support groups that are geared towards the loved ones or exes of of people who are actively in addiction uh, because there's so much shame and there's so much guilt and there's so much regret i just being able to connect with other people who have been through it it can be really really healing because yeah you're not alone and it's not your fault I completely agree. You are not alone and it's not your fault. I absolutely love that. Um, you know, for for the significant other to know they're not alone as well really helps. But for someone like me on that side of a relationship who was always focused on someone else's problems uh, to really take it back and realize that like I need to focus on myself again. Right. Yeah. Right. For sure. Okay. Changing topics just a little bit here. I uh, saw one of your Instagram posts and I really, really liked it. Which one? <laughs> I should honestly bring it up because it was so good. Okay, I don't know where my phone was. Is But basically what it talked about is it is okay to bring up your relationship status with yes. someone. Okay. Yes. So this is a little bit less serious, <laughs> but do you want to just go into that a little bit? I, I don't know exactly your wording, but I Gosh. loved it. I, is it this one? Asking for clarity in a relationship is not the same as putting pressure. Yes, you are allowed exactly. to know where you stand. Okay. Yes. What do you want to know? Because I <laughs> think. Okay, so I think when you're in the talking stage of a relationship, when, okay. when I like, I think a lot of people my age are just like stay in this talking, like yeah, you know, situationship, yeah. and they don't know what to do, and they're afraid to ask, "What are we?" But it's been three months. Are we exclusive? Are we going to date? And so that takes a toll on your mental health. Mm-hmm. And so I loved what you said because it's not putting pressure. It's just asking, you know, let's have some clarity on where where we are. Let's communicate. It demonstrates emotional maturity. You want to know if somebody's emotionally available because for some people, by those three months, you're canceling plans with other people to go hang out with this person. You're saying no to other people to get to know this person, maybe, right? So it's, it's more of like, what are we doing? Should I take myself off the market if I want to? And I think it's important when you're about to have that conversation, know what you want first. True. So you're not changing your answer based on what they say. Yes, that is so (laughs) true. But what if you're scared to ask that? Do Mm -hmm. you think if you're scared to ask your significant other, what are we, do you think that that person's not right for you? No, I, no, I don't, it's definitely not that black and white because you could be scared to ask that because of your own experiences from the past. You know what I mean? That could, that this could be bringing up or you could be scared maybe based on things in your childhood of afraid of loss, abandonment, rejection, right? So it's not always about the other person. It could be, it's a mixture of both. Do you think that there's like a point where the talking stage is too long? Because for me personally, mm-hmm. I've been in a talking stage for like, with one guy for like three months. And I was like, okay, I, this is, and I didn't really ask him. I was just like, F this, I'm out. Okay. And then with my boyfriend now, this sounds crazy, but I think I knew and we were dating within the first two weeks. Oh, so I feel okay. like 
this sounds really bold to say, and I know it's not black and white, but like, you know, if you're going to date that person within the first month, Mm -hmm. do you completely disagree with that? I think it depends on what your goals are and what your intentions are are for dating. Some people are truly casual daters. They just like, yeah, they just like to date. They like to date multiple people. They're slow daters. It takes them a long time to know if something's going to be right for them. Um, So everybody's got different dating styles, but I do think it's important if you are dating with this intention, I want to be in a relationship and I'm ready to be in one, then your body will tell you, okay, this is a really long time for us to be doing nothing, you know? I I do think if someone knows that they are just casually dating, they should vocalize it. Yes. Because that that unknown is very terrifying. That that ambiguity. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would love to know two things. How would you express to your person uh, that you don't want anything serious? Or And B, how would you ask them, what are we, without saying, what are we? Okay. (sighs) I'm just a fan of being direct. (laughs) Because um, that person's response will give you the information that you need on their emotional maturity. And that's important, right? Huh. You want to know if somebody's emotionally mature before you Absolutely. Before, right before you get into something deeper with them. So, what was the first one? How do you ask what? Okay, how do you tell the person that you just want to casually date oh. without being rude? Cuz oh. I feel like it can come across like Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I'm not looking for a relationship right now. I'm not ready for monogamy. Um and then they go yeah. on two weeks later and date someone. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that just, I feel like yeah. sometimes when someone says, like, I'm not looking for a relationship right now, that just says, like, I don't like you enough. No, uh, that's not true. It's not? Okay. Yeah, I think that's, um, that, again, I'm big on, like, what are the stories we tell ourselves? Yeah. Yeah, because then if somebody isn't ready for a relationship or doesn't want a relationship, that's not personal to you. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Okay, so how do you tell someone or ask someone, what are we? Just say it. I yeah. Like you have a lot of confidence to ask that, though. Yeah. Be like, what are... But know. you know you have nothing to lose. Because right. if they say we're not in a relationship, well, then you already weren't in one. That is so yeah. true. Wait, say that again. Okay. That was some truth <laughs> wall right there. Yeah, you have nothing to lose. Because if they say, well, we're not in a relationship, or I don't want to be in a relationship, okay. You already weren't in one then. That's so mm-hmm. true. Wow, I love that. I feel like you're really dropping some truth bombs right here, like very concise and really on top of it. Um, Wow, yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of girls also just get dragged. I don't mean to like be sexist there, but I just see it all a lot on TikTok, like Mm -hmm. just girls Mm -hmm. being dragged out because they don't know what, Mm -hmm. you know, what that situation is. It's like called like a situationship. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's some people who can handle it and some people who cannot as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not the type of person who would like to be involved in a situationship because mm-hmm. I just like overthink things and stuff like that. I feel like my best friend, though, on the other hand, she like only likes to talk to guys and like mm-hmm. is fine with them hooking up with other people. It just really depends on who you are and mm-hmm. what you can handle and what you want. Yeah, that's so so true. I think what you want um, should just be vocalized though, r- like very early on. I agree with that. Yeah. Being direct is, is very, very yeah. key in a relationship. Okay, we are now entering a segment called um, Mood Boosting Mantra. After all that, that was a very, very deep episode. So basically, Mood Boosting Mantra is a segment where you say a quote or a mantra that kind of rings true to you or your life. You can also kind of 
give okay. uh, a piece of advice or quote that that helps your clients as well anything that you you know a mantra that you say this one is a very simple one and it's just i am safe oh i love that do you want yeah. to expand on that at all yeah i think we live in a culture and a society where there's always something to do and there's always something happening that we tend to develop a lot of anxiety and we create a lot of stories about our life and our futures and when we can tell ourselves i am safe it brings us back to this moment in this moment i am safe i love I am that okay. i love i i struggle with that a lot because um my entire you know uh, COVID, I mm. basically had heightened anxiety, which was so weird mm. because usually I only thought I had anxiety because I was traveling so much and I was doing so many things. And now that, you know, the world is a little, hopefully staying uh, back to normal, I have a very hard time like relaxing and, and saying no and stuff like that and getting anxiety around like social things. I, I, I for some weird reason, all of a sudden have like social anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's a very new thing for me. So mm -hmm. next time that I feel very overwhelmed, I'm definitely going to say that. I feel like it's a great, like, I don't know, back down to earth moment. Yeah. Just soothe your nervous system. I'm safe. And, the and a deep breath. Yeah. Everyone take a deep breath right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for coming. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, I feel like that was like a very good, serious talk. I usually like, I'm, I'm not used to, obviously, I don't know if you could tell, but I'm not used to like talking so seriously. I'm like very, I'm very like, I don't know, out there sometimes and comical. But um, thank you so much. I really, really, really appreciate thank it. Thank you for having me. You're helping a lot of people. Oh, thank you. And where can everyone find you online? My Instagram handle is at Alyssa Marie Wellness. Okay, amazing. At Alyssa Marie Wellness. Awesome. Thank you so much, you guys. See you guys next week.